0: I think every sermon, at least from my perspective, that I've ever preached, started with an audience of one, which was me, where it seems that the Lord preaches to me first, and then he preaches to others, hopefully, as only he can, maybe communicating a word. Well, this this message this morning, I think, is a message for me. And if you want to listen in and if something happens and God blesses you and helps you in it, that'd be great. But this is definitely a message for an audience of one. The story is told of a woman by Brian Lockerbie. He tells the story of a woman who was a world-class runner. And she was invited to compete in a road race in Connecticut. And so she was excited about that. The day of the race, she drove from New York City And following directions she had been given along the way, she got lost. But she knew this. She knew the race started um, from a local mall, a big mall that she was supposed to go to. And so she stopped at a gas station. She explained what she was going. And the gas station attendant said, yes, I, I know of such a race. And if you just go this way and that way, you'll get right there. And so she did that, and she arrived. But to her surprise, there were not as many runners as she thought were going to be there and um, she said to herself, you know what, this race might be easier than I expected. And so she went to register and they were very excited that this world famous athlete was going to run this race with them. So they were very excited about that. But they noticed she wasn't on the registration list, but they said, that's great. Here you go. Here's a number. Go to the starting line. And she took off and she started running. And she ran the way race. And along the way, She won handily, very easily. In fact, she was way ahead of the first male runner. But after the race, she noticed there was no big trophy. There was no sizable um, financial prize. And it was then she discovered that the race that she was invited to was actually several miles down the road in a different town. She had started at the wrong starting line in the race. In living the new ordinary that we find ourselves in, it is essential that we must begin at the right starting line. In this very unfamiliar journey, this unfamiliar territory that we find ourselves in. Let's remember some of that territory. Uh, First of all, embracing the practice of worship in unfamiliar, uncomfortable, and different ways. Pairing worship down to not what we want or prefer, but to the heart of it, which is Jesus himself. We shared about that last week a little bit. This world we're living in is so different. Defining love for one another by practices that are all about surrendering our preferences and loving well with things like masks and social distancing and the like. Loving well in a different way we never would have imagined. Recognizing that we as Christians are to be in the forefront of working toward racial justice Always, not just in this season, but always, we are to be the bomb that brings healing. But how do we, how do, we do all that? How do we live in this kind of a world? Where, where do we start? How do we do that in this hyper-individualized narrative that permeates every aspect of culture? Finding the power, yes, we need to find the power To decentralize ourselves for our own collective good. How do we do that? What's the word that we need to hear from God's word? Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8. And so I would invite you just to be open to that. Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to set our hearts. But let's start with this question that we raised last week. What is God inviting us to? This is the persisting question that I raised last week in the the midst of all that we find ourselves in as individuals, as a church, and as a society. What is God inviting us to? If we do not ask that question, we will get so lost in trying to figure out how to make all of this work for ourselves. What is God inviting us to? I think there are some things that are clear. I think God is inviting us to turn from dependence on our own self-reliance and self-determination. In these last four months, I think we've learned the value of making space. Making space for God and making space for others. We've been reminded that relationships are the beauty of life. And we've been reminded that none of us is an island to ourselves. None of us even if we want to be. So as we're feeling those things, as we're thinking about those things, I wonder, is that God reminding us of those things? I think God is inviting us to be better and to do better living together as people of different races and ethnicities and backgrounds. I think there's an invitation from God in all of this. Is God inviting me, you, us, to be examples of those who honor the beauty of diversity in his image in all people? Are we not to be the models of love that celebrates and embraces our distinctiveness as reflected in our differences, making sure that liberty and justice for all is not just a slogan, but is a lived-out actuality for all people? I think God is inviting us to live out a different narrative than the world around us. A very different narrative. I think God is inviting us to be delivered from a defensive posture that seeks to protect and claim power, and instead embrace a narrative that acts justly and loves mercy and walks humbly with our God. I think God is trying to invite us into that kind of a narrative. So I think it is clear that God is inviting us into places that are different, maybe for each one of us, trying to help us see what he's doing in this world. But here's the problem. I would just say the problem is there's a tale of two lives, the tale between two lives. And which life I choose to live will determine if I live into the invitations God has for me in this world. And it's true for each one of us. This is how the tale is told. Romans chapter 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. See, this is the tale between two lives. It's really a battleground, it's a battle between two mindsets. And this is critical for us. What is your mindset? What is my mindset? Or as William Greathouse called it, what is the orienting focus of my life? What will it be? What is the starting place for the way you walk into the world? What is gonna be the starting place? What's starting line? are you going to go to? Because everything else will follow from there. For example, imagine that um, you want to go someplace. You can have a map or a GPS setting. You can have a map of where you want to go. Let's say I wanted to drive from our home here in Nashua to go visit my father-in-law in San Francisco. But I started in Nashville, Tennessee. Begins with an N. Started in Nashville, Tennessee. But as I did that, I tried to navigate with the directions from my home in Nashville, New Hampshire. It would be a disaster. I'd be lost quickly. I would be disoriented. I would not succeed. And that's what I think part of what Paul is saying to us. He says, the mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Who wants to live like that? I don't think anyone wants to live like that. But if my starting point is, as Greathouse said, the life of the I living for itself and its own resources, then I'm going to miss out. I'm going to miss God's invitation in this time. I will not get to that core we talked of last week of seeking first the kingdom of God. So, where is your starting point? Where have you set your mind? Where have I set my mind? The mind governed by the flesh is shaped and controlled by self obsession being at the center hear that self-obsession being at the center but there's two sides to that coin of self-obsession the first side is kind of the obvious one our self-interest is our center which where our passions and our wants rule the day for us it means we default to defensive posturing It, it causes us to have to be right it's that very familiar side of the coin of the flesh that we see played out in our world today right It's not too hard to identify that. This battle for the mind, though, can be fierce. It can be fierce. Ephesians 6.12 really speaks to that. If you read it through the lens of what Paul is saying here about the mind, listen to these words. You may know these. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is is not against flesh and blood. Let me just translate that a little bit. Our enemy is not people. Human beings, no matter who they are, are not the enemy. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And we kind of read that and we think, well, that sounds kind of scary. Scary and mystical? But I'm not so sure it's as mystical as we think. Where is the battleground? Dallas Willard said this, These evil systems have been used to dominate humanity through fear and self-obsession so that the uppermost thing filling our minds is likely to be ourselves. That's at the heart of the battle. And it is that mindset, that starting point with me in the center that creates much of the division and the finger-pointing and the demand for my rights and the self-promoting. It's the self-promoting side of the coin. The mind governed by the flesh. And we get that. That's kind of obvious, this self-interest in the center. But there's another side to this coin. Um, every other week, um, my friend, our friend, Dr. Rob Fringer, um, we talk every other week, usually on Thursdays when we can. And it's usually Friday morning for him. It's 14 hours ahead of us in Australia. And it's a, a Thursday uh, evening for me. And, and we were talking about this very passage this week. And Rob is actually working on a book on shame. And he made this statement. So I told him I was going to steal it. The difference between guilt and shame is this. Guilt is recognizing I have done something wrong. Shame is believing I am something wrong. Hear it again. Guilt is recognizing I have done something wrong. Shame is believing I am something wrong. Do you see how that is the other side of the coin of self-obsession. On the one side is this self-centricity that makes my preferences, my rights, my wants the center of my universe. On the other side of that coin, it is seeing yourself as less than, less than what God sees you to be, what God sees me to be, as someone worthy only of shame, it is living with a self-deprecating mindset. You see, both of these sides, both of these sides of the coin, are hostile to God. Both of them are hostile to God's view of us. Both of them are the mind of the flesh. One, trying to get everything I want and making it about me. The other, viewing myself as less than what God has for me, has made me to be. But you see, the whole point of what we read in Romans 8 isn't isn't the mindset of the flesh. That's not the point being made here. The point being made here is this. We do not have to be stuck living according to the flesh, whichever side of the coin it is, whether it's the side of the coin that makes life all about me, Or the side of the coin where there's been times and periods and days in my life that I've struggled with, which is what I think of myself and my own worth and shame, whichever side of the coin. So imagine a different invitation. What is God inviting us to in these days? Imagine a different invitation. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Romans 8 1 and 2. There is no condemnation, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, this morning, I invite you to do something. I invite you to close your eyes. Close your eyes. And imagine the answer in your life to this question. What does a no condemnation life look like for you? What does that look like? To live out life without any condemnation in your heart. What does that look like? And now, imagine this. Close your eyes and imagine this. What does a no condemnation of others' life look like for you? What does that look like? I mean, sit with that. That's the invitation here. That's the invitation to live a life centered in the embrace of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. Tish Warren said, we left on our own deserve condemnation. But we are not left on our own. Amen. Left to our own, we deserve condemnation, but we are not left on our own. Verse 2, because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death, because we belong to him, as the New Living Translation says. And what that means for you and me in the church in a world like ours is that we can live out a different narrative. That in our struggles and failures and even our sin, there is opportunity. There's opportunity for the grace of God to do something new. In that moment of the flesh, Where we fail and we want to beat ourselves up, there's an opportunity for the Spirit to work in our lives. We can be a different kind of people in this world. We are given the ability through His Spirit, the presence of Jesus in us, to see others through the eyes of Christ. We can have a different mindset. The mindset that the world is not just about us and the mindset that says that God is for us. You see, the key word for us in Romans chapter eight is the word spirit. It is the mention of the Holy Spirit repeatedly that captures our attention in this passage. 31 times in the entire book of Romans, The Holy Spirit is mentioned. 21 of the 31 times are right here in Romans 8. 21 times. Last week's word was a reminder that God wants to shake us to the core of the heart of worship. Where Jesus is the actual king of our lives. This week, each one of us is invited to live out a different tale. To live out the tale of a different life. To live with a different mindset. to, To possess a different orienting focus for our lives. We are invited to the no condemnation life in the power of the Holy Spirit. No condemnation towards ourselves and no condemnation towards our world around us. Those who live, it says in Romans, in accordance with the Spirit, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. What an amazing invitation that is. What is before us in these times, my friends, what we're facing in these times cannot be faced in our own strength. We we cannot be facing this in our own power, centered in our own resources, focused on our own desires and preferences. It just can't happen. We need God. And this invitation that's before us is one we can take God up on. All the things we have been talking about, all the things in these weeks, sacrificing for others as we continue to process through a pandemic. What if we all just adopt the attitude that we're going to sacrifice for one another? Can't do that on our own. I can't need the Spirit of God to help us with that. Humbly facing racial inequality, inequity in our world. But doing so with an open, non-defensive and humble heart to be willing to even think about the implicit bias that may exist within myself. And, and And then listen and be teachable before the Holy Spirit. What is the Spirit trying to do in me? and through me in all of that. Embracing a different narrative than that of caustic division that places people in my preconceived categories. Well, that's the way they are, that's who they are, and then we judge them accordingly and we leave them there. You see, this all requires something way beyond me, way beyond you. It requires the mind that's governed by the Spirit, which is life and peace. So do you hear the invitation from God today? He invites us in this beautiful, fresh way to a life and a power that is beyond you and me. It's beyond anything that the world can give us. He invites us to that so that we can find this freedom he's promised to us here. It's the freedom to live free from condemnation of ourselves and others. It's the freedom to face those ways in which I blow it and to give that to Jesus and let him redeem it. It's the freedom to know that God is at work even in the suffering of our world. It's the freedom to be able to listen to the experiences of others, not in judgment, but with humility, with a teachable spirit to the spirit and from the spirit. It's the freedom to actually live a life of life and peace that the Spirit gives us, showing that to the world. That's either all true or or it's not. And we can just cut this section of the Bible out and burn it. But this is the promise for us. This is the invitation for us. Isn't that amazing? We are invited to allow God to fill us with his spirit and displace our self-obsession. We are still living in these very human bodies and lives, but the spirit orients us to a new way of living. We can be filled with the spirit in such a way that it does reflect in our world. Paul says this, in Romans 8, the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What is the righteous requirement of the law? The royal law found in Scripture is love your neighbor as yourself, James says. It is this powerful force that enables us to mutual love, where I no longer have to project my shame onto others, where I don't have to insist in my rights over others, where I live a life, a real life in the Spirit. As Paul said to the Galatians, a life whereby we are free to express love. The only thing counting is faith expressing through love. And that is the tale of the second life. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. But the Spirit doesn't override my life. He doesn't force his way in. He doesn't turn us into religious automatons. God acts in cooperation with us, living in a very real world. It's like a dance. I know I've shared this before, but to this day, I do not believe I've ever seen a couple dance more fluidly or beautifully than my sister Carol and her husband Scott at their wedding. They began this amazingly artful expression of love, and it was captivating. They were in sync with one another in a way I just have never seen. It was beautiful. It's amazing. And then in the middle of that, another couple kind of jumped in. They decided to jump on the dance floor, and, and they were like getting attention in the middle of their dance. And they were erratic and they were gyrating and they were anything but artistic but carol and scott just kept on moving in such rhythm and grace that it was breathtaking i remember i could see it clearly you know life without the spirit life without the spirit is like the couple who in their insecurity hit the dance floor trying to make a statement and draw attention to themselves But life in the spirit is like a dance between a couple with no statement to make. No agenda to force, no shame to hide. Just a desire to be connected to one another, issuing in this beautiful display of love. See, I think that's what the world needs, don't you? I think we've had enough of erratic, self-focused dancing in our world. It is the connected life with Christ, filled with his spirit, marked by a mindset oriented toward God, towards his desires. Not a product of individual effort, but the power of the collaborative life with the Holy Spirit, where we fully and freely surrender to him. And where he births in us the mindset of the spirit. Isn't that what we really need? In this world, isn't that what we really need in this time? Isn't this the answer to rhetoric that tears others down? To social discord? Isn't this what is needed for us to actually work toward the collective good of others in our world? Could it be that with a mind governed by the spirit that is life and peace, our living will bring that life and peace to the social order of our world. It is the tale of two lives. The question is, which tale will your life tell? Which tale will my life tell each and every day? Now our instrumentalists are going to begin playing the song Same Power that raised Jesus from the dead. That same power is available for you and me today. And so for a few moments, what I'd invite you to do as we just listen to this, this the, the strains of this music, I would invite you today to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and give you the mindset of the spirit of God. I would invite you today to offer yourselves, offer each one of us offering ourselves to God and inviting his spirit to captivate our minds and our hearts so that we do not live according to the mindset of the flesh, but we live according to the mindset of the spirit in our lives through Jesus Christ. Let us just sit with him today for a few moments and offer him ourselves the same power that raised Jesus from the dead the same power is for us today so as we close our time together I want to remind you the ushers will dismiss you from the back and then you'll depart as we depart I pray that we go in the power of his spirit I pray that we become obsessed with him. I pray that we would together turn from the mindset of the flesh and in cooperation with him by the power of the spirit, live out the mindset of the spirit. And in the tale of two lives, I pray that we choose this invitation to this life from Jesus. A no-condemnation life where he is glorified. We are set free and the world sees him in our lives. May we go in his name by the power of his spirit and the love of God the Father who is with us. In Christ's name great to be with you today as we continue to worship him. As we go, may we go in the power of the Holy Spirit.